What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Thursday, the 19th of January. It's a bit of a chilly one today, but the sun is out at least. So it's an improvement on what we've had the last couple of days. How are you all? Hope you've had a nice Wednesday evening. Hope your Thursday is going well. 
We'll start with last night's Premier League game. Manchester United going to Selhurst Park. The game ends 1-1. And to be truthful, the draw was absolutely the fair result. United had more of the ball and they had more shots, but uh, Palace had more shots on target. And Palace forced one of the saves of the season from David De Gea in the first half from Odson Edward. In the last minute of the first half, there's just a slight breakdown in Palace's defence. Czech de Cure is tracking Christian Eriksen. Eriksen lays the ball off. And just for a split second, de Cure switches off. The ball finds its way back to Eriksen. He cuts it back to Bruno Fernandes. And Fernandes scores. United won up. And looked like that would be it. They looked like they would hold on. But in the 91st minute, we get a real goal of the season contender from Michael Elise. A free kick that's fully 30 yards out. Left-footed with just vicious bend and whip on it. Flies into the top corner. Gives De Gea absolutely no chance. Olise is a phenomenally talented footballer. Absolutely phenomenally talented. And I do wonder if if Guardiola got his hands on him, could he turn him into his next De Bruyne? A left-footed version. He's not as strong as De Bruyne, but he is. He's a tall, fairly well-built lad. He's got a similar level of dribbling ability. He might even be a better dribbler than De Bruyne in terms of his footwork and his burst-away speed. He doesn't have De Bruyne's kind of ability to absorb contact and continue to move. But his passing is outrageous. His crossing is incredible. I do think if you played him on that left side, in that left-sided channel, the half space, and, and just invited him to deliver into the box, I really do think you'd get so much from him. Now, I know he likes playing at, when he plays as a winger. He likes playing on the right because he doesn't like just beating a man and whipping balls in. He's not... He's not a Leroy Sané type of speedster either, so it's not like he can just burn past any fullback and whip crosses in. But I do think if you played him in a midfield three, like Liverpool is is the club I actually obviously want him to go to. So I was thinking about this last night. Liverpool traditionally line up with a three-man midfield in which you've got a number six who sits and holds and protects the defence. Your left-sided eight sits in next to that player provides defensive structure and cover for the left-back channel. And the right-sided midfielder has more freedom to get forward. Now, different midfielders play that role different ways. One in particular doesn't do any defensive work. Uh, one tries quite hard to do it, but isn't any good at it. And one is is good at it, but a little bit slow-footed. If you were to switch... Liverpool's midfield around ever so slightly. And rather than have Trent step into the channel to play, have him hold width on the right. Play someone like, let's say Liverpool could get their act together and buy Moises Caicedo. If you could play Caicedo on the right of a midfield three, next to a Fabinho or a Manuel Ugarte or somebody like that as the six, 
and free Ulisse to play on the left. You'd have Ulisse's delivery from one side and Trent's delivery from the other, plus Andy Robertson overlapping down that wing. All of a sudden, you would have three elite, absolutely elite sources of service for your front players. And you'd have that defensive solidity. I would, that would, for me, I would love to see that. Like, give me Caicedo and Elise over Jude Bellingham. And I know they're, you know, in for Matthias Nunes. I would rather sign a Manuel Ugar type of holding midfielder. That to me would represent far better balance in midfield. You still go and get a Nunes because they need four anyway. But, that to me would represent far better balance and use of use of money. Anyway, I've gotten distracted by Michael Elise. Um, couple of other notes out of this game. United obviously the 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 title charge didn't last very long as as expected. Um a lot of over the top praise, obviously, for Ten Hag, because look, he is doing a good job, but he's he's doing it playing Ball for the most part. Um, but this idea that United should be some kind of underdog is is laughable. You've got a twenty million pound goalkeeper who, by the way, was twenty million over a decade ago. You translate that into modern transfer fees; it's probably in the region of seventy million. It was one of the highest transfer fees for a goalkeeper ever at the time. Juan Bissaka was fifty million. Varane was what forty five. Martinez was fifty plus. Shaw was 35 million eight, nine years ago. So again, that's well over 50 million in today's money. Casemiro was 60 plus. Ericsson was free, but he's on huge wages. Anthony was 85. Bruno was somewhere between 50 and 60. Rashford's an academy graduate, and they've brought in Veghorst. So, like, you know, on the bench, you've got Lindelof, you've got who was 30 million, Maguire was 80 million, Malashi was 15, Fred was the best part of 50. Um, This is not some pulling themselves up by the bootstrap story. This is a team spending ludicrous amounts of money. And they should be where they are, given what they've spent, what their wage bill is. This isn't some amazing turnaround. It's not like he took the players they had and took them to a new level. He spent a fortune in the summer. He spent, he spent over 200 million. You would expect him to be doing well. Now it's no surprise that Bruno and Marcus Rashford have both seen their form elevate massively in the last couple of months because Bruno was absolutely on fire. He was just tearing the league apart with goals and assists from the minute he arrived, Rashford had been really good for a couple of years, but was starting to break down with some injuries. But then Cristiano gets lumped onto them. And as I said, when they signed him, and I said throughout his tenure there, he makes other players worse when they have to play in attack with him. He just does. But at one point, he was so brilliant at scoring goals that he could make up for it because he could get 60 goals a season. But now he's not that player. 
He used to also offer a lot more in general play. Now he offers nothing in general play. But if you look at Rooney, Tevez, Berbatov, Higuain, Benzema, even Bale, Dybala, all of them saw their numbers dip with him, as did Bruno and Rashford. And now that he's gone, they're both firing on all cylinders again. Now, Rashford was poor last night. But... He has been in great form. Uh, United will be without Casemiro for their game against Arsenal at the weekend after he was booked last night, his fifth booking of the season. Um, he was a little bit fortunate it was only a yellow card. It was a fairly fairly horrible tackle, but it is what it is. A yellow card, and he is out of that game. So third place, United. Um, they move ahead in Newcastle. With that point last night, Newcastle do have the superior goal difference, though. So if they can get themselves back level, they'd have a big advantage there. Uh, They're level in points with City, but City have a game in hand. They're eight points behind Arsenal, but Arsenal have a game in hand. But if they can win on Saturday, or is it Sunday? It might be Sunday. It is Sunday. If they can win on Sunday, all of a sudden, well, all of a sudden they'd be very popular in, in Man City households, but it would also close that gap and put more pressure on Arsenal, who thus far haven't had any pressure on them. We have one game tonight. It is City versus Tottenham. Neither team comes in in particularly good form. City with only two wins in their last five, two defeats in their last five. Exact same as Tottenham. Two wins in the last five, two defeats in the last five. Now, Tottenham's form has been sketchy for longer than their last five. But City need the win. There's there's just no middle ground on this one for City tonight. They need to win. And Conte traditionally has a pretty good record against Pep. So it's going to be interesting. But I, I would place my money on City for tonight. I, they're the better team. And they need a reaction because they have been really poor in recent recent weeks and that's just not the sign of a Guardiola team we had one FA Cup game last night Leeds United 5 Cardiff City 2 uh, Leeds actually went 5-0 up in the, this game Wilfred Nonto scored in the first minute an absolutely outrageous goal it's a great ball over from I think it's Jack Harrison to make sure of that I think it's Jack Harrison that plays that ball No, it's Rodrigo. Sorry, my mistake. It's Rodrigo plays the ball to Nanto. And it's it's a similar type of volley to De Canio's. Now, it doesn't have the level of difficulty as that famous De Canio one for West Ham because he's not as wide as De Canio, but it's the same type of scissors technique. It's a great goal. Uh, Rodrigo makes it two on 34 minutes. This one is an assist by Jack Harrison. On 35 minutes, Jack Harrison again creates a goal. This one is another Nanto goal. So 3-0 up on 36 minutes, and that's basically game over. But Patrick Bamford scores on 40 and on, sorry, on on 71 and on 76 to just properly wrap things up. Uh, Callum Wilson gets two back in the latter stages, one in the 84th minute and one in the 93rd minute from the penalty spot, but This game was over as a contest after 36 minutes. So Leeds move on and credit to them. They will take on the winners of Accrington Stanley 
and Boreham Wood in the next round. And that is your FA Cup catch-up. But, just in case you have interest, the mighty Celtic marched on in the Scottish Premiership last night, beating St Mirren 4-0, Abada, Furuhashi with two, and David Turnbull with a fourth, a very, very comfortable win for Celtic, who are strolling away with this title. Nine points clear with 11 games to go. They don't look like dropping many points. They're scoring goals. They're not conceding goals. And Postacoglu might be the best manager in the world. Um, Hearts beat Aberdeen 5-0. Shinny own goal. Smith, Shankland and Ginnelly giving Hearts a 4-0 halftime lead. Uh, Devlin makes it 5 on 61. Hearts are third in the league, but miles and miles and miles away from doing anything other than getting themselves a spot in the Europa League. They are 14 points behind second place Rangers. 14 points behind. And 23 points behind Celtic on top of the league. Uh, Aberdeen, like that's a good win for them because Aberdeen are fifth. It's just that their away form is abysmal. Absolutely abysmal. St. Mirren dropped down to seventh after that win, but they do have a game in hand, so they could climb back up into fifth um, if they got a result. And then we had Kilmarnock against Rangers. Uh, Kilmarnock went one up through Stokes. Rangers fought back. Morellas, Kent, Morellas again. Armstrong was sent off for Kilmarnock. Three one-up Rangers were in the 85th minute. Wright scored a consolation is all it turned out to be. But uh, a good win away from for Rangers, although I mean they should be beating Kilmarnock, who are 11th in the league. Um, that that obviously should be a, a very straightforward one for Rangers and Michael Beale. Um, we'll do quickly just this one bit of news before we go to the break. Uh, it looks like West Ham are on the brink of signing Danny Ings. Uh, 12 million plus some add-ons bringing it to 15, I believe, is the fee. And that will mean that Danny Ings has now played for Burnley, Aston Villa and West Ham. So, Scunthorpe, if you're listening... He's yours next. Danny Ings loves a bit of claret and blue. Um, it's a strange. It's been a strange time for Danny Ings over the last eighteen months. He was doing very, very well at Southampton, and Villa, obviously having sold Grealish or in the process of selling Grealish, had the money to spend, so they jumped in to buy him. He hasn't done particularly well. For Villa, they paid twenty-five million, and they're about to take a ten million loss, and that's if the add-ons come through. So, uh, Villa just cutting their losses there. He is now thirty. He's had a lot of knee in- knee issues. His fitness is always an issue. I don't know what it means for West Ham. Like, is Skimaka going to to leave? Is is Antonio going to leave? Are they going to keep the three of them? Probably should keep the three of them. But they needed to find someone to add goals. And, and Danny Ings makes sense. He will he will add goals for them. I'm a little bit surprised Southampton didn't jump in. Guys informing me there are rumours that Skimaka is injured and potentially out for a little while. So 
maybe that's part of the logic here. Um, I think I think Moyes though needs to be braver with his team selections. Um, I saw a report yesterday that David Moyes will be sacked if West Ham lose to Everton. Now, this type of thing really annoys me, and it's kind of irrational on my part, but that's how I am. This really bugs the life out of me. What happens if you win? Is he not getting sacked then? So you're going to sack him if you lose, but you're not going to sack him if you win. And what happens then if he loses the next league game? Do you then sack him? Because after this, you've got Newcastle away, Chelsea at home, who'll have a bunch of players back, and then Spurs away. Now, if I was a West Ham fan, I wouldn't be expecting many points from those three games. So is it just if he beats Everton but loses those three, is everything okay? Are you going to keep him? Or are you going to sack him if you lose to Newcastle? Because if you're going to sack him the next time you lose, what are you actually gaining by not sacking him now? What you're doing is you're denying your next manager the opportunity to work in the transfer market. Now, the fact that they're giving Moyes money to spend right now suggests to me that he's not as close to getting sacked as people are making out. And that would worry me as well if I was a West Ham fan because, you know, you're 19th in the league. You've taken 15 points from 19 games. You've lost 12 games, which is the worst in the league along with Southampton who sit bottom level on points with you. You've won four games all season. You beat Villa under Steven Gerrard. Everybody beat Villa under Steven Gerrard. You beat Wolves when they were bottom of the league. You beat Fulham. That was a really good result. A really, really good result. But if I'm not mistaken, Mitrovic didn't play in that game. And then you beat Bournemouth 2-0. Everybody beats Bournemouth. You lost the City, fair enough. You lost the Forest when they were awful at the start of the season. Got dog-walked around your own pitch by Brighton. Beaten by a bad Chelsea, who sacked their manager a couple of days later. You lost away to Everton, who are awful. You drew with a Southampton team that would sack the manager shortly after. Lost to Liverpool, fair enough, but they've been awful this season. Lost to United. Lost at home to Palace, who were in a bad run of form, or beginning a bad run of form, I should say. Uh, Lost to Leicester, who were awful. Lost to Arsenal, fair enough. Lost to Brentford at home. Draw with Leeds wasn't a bad result. But you lost to Wolves again. Twelve defeats. It's awful. You went out of the EFL Cup in at the first hurdle to a lower league team. Now you're doing well in Europe, and that's great. You've won eight out of eight games. You're, you're two qualifiers against Viborg, and then you beat the mighty Anderlecht, Silkberg, and the artist formerly known as Steyr Bucharest. Like, I, I, I can't see the logic in him not being 
under serious threat. And if he's at the point where you're going to sack him after one more game, just sack him now. Don't let him buy Danny Ings. Sack him now. Appoint a new manager by, what day is today? Thursday. You should be able to have a new manager in place by Monday, Tuesday at the latest. That gives that manager a couple of days to have a look at the squad and see what he wants. And you can go and get someone in the last couple of days of the window. But I mean, you look at the the appearances in the league. Fabianski has played every league game. He's been poor. Ariola is a significantly better keeper. Your results with Ariola are better. Why is he not playing? Sufal has been really poor this season. He's 11 starts. Ben Johnson has been good. He's only got six starts. Cresswell has 17 starts. Palmieri has five. Why is that? Cresswell has not been good this season. Tilo Carreras had some really poor games. 15 starts. Like Thomas Suchek has been awful. Started 17 games in the league. 17 games. He's been awful. And I'm not being funny, but you've got Skamaka, Antonio, Corne, who's had injuries, so fair enough. Jared Bone, Saeed Benrama, Pablo Fornals, and Lanzini and Paqueta as attacking players in your squad. You shouldn't be struggling for goals. You should not be struggling for goals when you've got that talent in your squad. This is a Moyes issue because all the players didn't become crap overnight. They just didn't. Anyway, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll run through some listeners' questions and I will see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So it is Thursday, so it's listeners' questions day. We have a good few questions today. Uh, so I'm going to start with this one from Rick M. List in order of how you perceive their greatness. Lionel Messi, Michael Jordan, Ronnie O'Sullivan, Magnus Carlsen, and Phil the Power Taylor. So I have to admit I'm a Stephen Hendry fan. So for me, even though I think Ronnie O'Sullivan is the most talented player, to ever play the game of snooker, I'm still going to say Stephen Hendry's the greatest snooker player of all time. Um, and I know that's controversial. In order of their great... And I've obviously I've said, I think, the best... I think Stephen Hendry... Ronnie O'Sullivan... The, Ronnie O'Sullivan, to me, is like Maradona. He's probably the best player the game has seen but I think Hendry's the greatest player because of how he dominated the game. Anyway. um, This is tough. Phil Taylor dominated darts, but I just... I, darts isn't for me. 
Magnus Carlsen is a genius. I saw this video the other day of him. He was doing an interview with this guy, I think for some YouTube chess channel. And the guy was setting chess boards up in from previous Carlsen games. And Carlsen could name not just the game that that set was from, but the moves leading up to it and the moves after it. He could just remember it. Some of them were from years and years ago. Phenomenal. He's tough here as well because two of them play team sports, Messi and Jordan. Whereas O'Sullivan, Carlson, and Phil Taylor all played or or play individual sports. And obviously two of them are what I would term athletic sports and three of them are more skill-based sports. Now, there's obviously massive amounts of skill in football and basketball, but there's no athleticism in darts. There's no athleticism in chess. They're more... they're, They're kind of pure skill and mental focus. I'm going to say Jordan is one because that's just always been my default. I'm going to say Magnus Carlsen two. Messi three, Taylor four, Sullivan five. Oh, Sullivan five. If it was Stephen Hendry, I'd probably go Hendry over Taylor. Um, but yeah, Jordan, Carlsen, Messi, Taylor, O'Sullivan. Uh, early non-football question. Oh, non-football question. Top five in-game NBA dunkers. Oh, I like this. Okay. Um, point guard has to be Jamarant. He might be the most explosive dunker I've ever seen at the point guard spot. Russell Westbrook was very, very special. But there's just something different with Ja. At the two, I'm going to go the Ant-Man, Anthony Edwards. I think he's a phenomenal in-game dunker. No, actually, do you know what? I have to cheat a little bit. No, he's not cheating because he has played the three. I'm going to move on to the three. Because he does play the three quite a bit for Minnesota. So I'm going to play him at the three. And obviously, Zach Levine has to be number two. Zach Levine might be the greatest dunker the game has ever seen. Now, he doesn't have Vince Carter's, like, explosiveness. But Zach Levine makes the same type of dunks that Carter did. Just looks so effortless and graceful. Whereas with Vince, it was just this explosion of power. Remember when he won the dunk contest? Like, those were outrageous dunks. But the dunks Levine did in the years he won the dunk contest, for me, were better. They were more technical. So I'm going to say Ja, Levine, and at the four, I mean, obviously Blake would have been the answer a few years ago, but he doesn't have that kind of bounce anymore. He's more groundbound because of the, the injuries. It could be LeBron. Like, it could still be LeBron at this point. I know he's 
been a three for most of his career. But he does primarily play the four now. Um, trying to think who else is an explosive. Any see, I was, I was going to put Giannis at the five because he does play center when when Milwaukee goes small, but. Giannis is probably the four. And at the five. Hmm. Clint Capella was, when he was in Houston, he was a phenomenally good in-game dunker, but just on off the pick and roll, him and Harden had that great symmetry. If he can ever get his act together, Wiseman could go in here. He's a phenomenal athlete. And he's a great roller. He just hasn't yet figured out how to use his hands. Rudy Gobert's kind of the same. <laughs> it's been a tough year for Minnesota with Rudy Gobert. I'm not going to lie. I wish they could. I wish I could just transport everybody back six months and redo that deal. Or, well, more to the point, undo that deal. the guy's name on the Knicks. DeAndre Jordan would have been the five a few years ago. Or Dwight Powell. Or Dwight Powell. Dwight Howard, obviously. Um, But neither of them are. So we don't have a lot of that type of fives anymore. Fives are now stepping out and shooting threes. And Embiid is obviously the him and Jokic are the two best centers in the league. But because of the injury issues he had, he doesn't show that explosive athleticism he did in his younger years. Mitchell Robinson might be my answer at the five. I think I'll go Mitchell Robinson, Giannis, Ant, Levine, and Ja. I think I'm happy with that. Isaac Gilding, uh, this was from a few weeks ago. With Enzo looking, with it look, looking like Enzo's going to Chelsea, this was back when Chelsea thought they had, or well, when all the reports were that Chelsea were going to get him. What do you think of his teammate Florentino Luis? Who do you think Benfica will be targeting to replace Enzo? And should every big club in Europe simply step in and steal them, potentially saving 100 million euro down the line? So I think the two they wanted were Alcaraz, who's now gone to Southampton, and Perone, who's now gone to Manchester City. In terms of who they might go for instead, I mean, he's a different type of player, but he can be that kind of metronome in midfield. Alan Varela could be an interesting fit. Obviously, there are other nations available. They don't just have to buy Argentines. Um, If I was them, I'd actually be calling Bayern Munich and just seeing if Ryan Gravenberch is available. 
I think Gravenberch and Luis is is a pairing that could work very, very well. And you wouldn't have Enzo's. Gravenberch is a really good passer of the ball. He's, he's not Enzo, but I do think Gravenberch and Luis could be very, very good. I really like Florentino Luis. And a couple of years back, he was the, the one to go and get as a holding midfielder, as a ball winner. Like, just an absolute machine. This was the next N'Golo Kante when he broke into the uh, Benfica team first. He'd been very, very highly touted through their reserve team. Makes his debut in 1819. Does really well. The following season, he doesn't progress. That's 1920. The next season, he gets loaned out to Monaco. It's a disaster. Then he goes to Hitafe, and he did okay at Hitafe, but nothing close to the level that we were expecting. But this year, he has been back at his very best. Now, he's 23, so he's still very young. But the fact is, he hasn't yet been capped by Portugal's national team. And they've been crying out for a player like that, a dynamic ball winner to play next to Neves. Super, super talented at what he does. But I want to see him do it this year and next year and show that he can string together a long run of form. The partnership with him and Enzo has been spectacular. Um, Keepy Uppy, who makes your halfway team of the season? Someone didn't listen to yesterday's pod before posting their question. So it's up. Uh, you can listen to that, but I'll give it to you now anyway. It is Allison in goal, Diogo Delo at right back, Purvis is stupid and at left back, Gabrielle and Botman as the centre backs, much to Guy's annoyance. Um, Saka right, Saka and De Bruyne as kind of dual attacking midfielder slash wingers. Um, Gamerish and Odegaard as central midfield pairing, and then Haaland and Mitrovic up front. Um, Isaac Gilding again. Can you make an 11 of players forever linked to Liverpool from any time period that never actually joined? Can you also do it for other clubs? I probably could do it for other clubs, but it would take an awful lot of time to sit down and start thinking about it. But for Liverpool, we can definitely make this happen right now. Um, So we're going to start with the obvious ones. Arda Turan was linked forever and ever and ever. So we're going to stick him on the left wing. Simo is going to be on the right wing. David Villa is going to be up front. Diego Capal, that's a that's an absolutely outrageous shout, guys. Well done. That's brilliant. I couldn't abide him. He would have we'll have to slot him in at left wing. He was linked for years and years and years. Um Christian Tello was another. Brendan Rodgers had a bit of a hard-on for him. We're going to stick him up front. David Silva, I don't think, qualifies because he was only really linked for like two transfer windows. And then he went to... Then he made a move. So uh, we're not going to go with him. Um, Gareth Barry was linked for years. Gareth Barry, the entirety of his Aston Villa career 
was linked with a move to Liverpool. Um, we're going to put Gareth Barry in. I'm tempted to put Jude Bellingham next to him because it's just doing my head in. Um, I'm trying to think now. Goalkeepers. We were linked to Richard Wright incessantly for a couple of years. And it, it obviously never happened. He ends up going to Arsenal and then to Everton. Maybe it was the other way around. Um, yeah, Arsenal and then Everton. We were linked to him when he was at Ipswich for close enough the entire time he was in the Ipswich team. So I'm going to go with him and go... Jack Butland, we were, and we all, like, we were going to buy Jack Butland. <clears throat> yeah, Jack Butland, Jack Butland probably wasn't linked for, oh, he was, because he was he linked to me to Birmingham. But Richard Wright or Jack Butland in goal, whichever one you want, really. Butland's more, more recent. Um, We were linked with Wayne Bridge, but I'm going to have to put him right back if you want him in the team. And I, I know you don't like the idea of too many left footers in the, in the back line. Um, Central defenders. We were linked to Jose Jimenez for a few years, which would have been good. There was some really... There was a Brazilian centre-back we were linked with for absolutely... Oh, Naldo. Naldo was linked to us for a couple of years. He's terrible. Um, Need a right-back. Who was the right-back that was always getting linked to us? Lee Bowyer, I'm putting in the midfield. Lee Bowyer was linked to us forever. So he's in midfield. I need a right back. There was a right back who was constantly linked to us. I'm old enough to remember when Warren Barton was being linked to us for reasons known only to Warren Barton's agent. Uh, we had Rob Jones at the time, although we did then buy McIntyre and move Rob Jones to the left. Um. Warren Barton and had the most dreadful hair. He was a good player, but we we, we had better. Um, Danny Alves. Now, when he when he was been linked to us, he was been linked as a right winger, but Danny Alves was linked to us for a few years, so I'm throwing him in. I need one more centre back. He wasn't linked for. This guy wasn't linked for years and years, but he was for about two years. He was linked to us from kind of when he made his debut. We came really close to buying him as well. It's Phil Jones. From the second he made his debut, he was linked to us. And he was Kenny's top target to bring in. And he went to United and his career has not gone at all well. Now, does Phil Jones, the player he's become, is not the player he should have been. Phil Jones back then was a really, really promising centre-back. So I'm going to go Phil Jones. So I've got, you can have Richard Wright or Jack Butland in goal, Danny Alves, Phil Jones, Naldo, Diego Capel, 
Simao right wing, Arda Turan left wing, Lee Bowyer and Garrett Barry in central midfield, and David Villa and Christian Tello up front. Um, Christian Tello, didn't he just move somewhere? Yeah, he just went to LAFC. Oh, he, he didn't just go, he went in, in August. Haven't been at Betis for five years. Um, yeah, Lee Bowyer. I'm, I remember my my friend John Paul Cullen, God rest him, he did not want us to sign Lee Bowyer at all. He was at um he was at Charlton, obviously, come through their academy, and he was like kind of the up-and-coming young midfielder. He's playing in, in what, what is now the championship, what was then the first division. And he was really, really good. He was banging in goals. Um, in the end, Leeds got him. And even when he went to Leeds, he was been linked with us. Stayed at Leeds seven years. I didn't realise he was at Leeds. Well, he was actually six and a half years. I didn't realise he was there that long. Went to West Ham for half a season. That, that's bizarre. I don't remember that. Oh, an, an initial six-month contract for a nominal fee. And if West Ham were relegated, he was allowed to leave. Now, by this point, of course, Bowyer's stock had taken an enormous dip because of the incident at the nightclub with... Jonathan Woodgate and um, the gentleman they assaulted. So that's probably why Leeds were happy enough to cut bait and get rid. Leeds were also starting to feel the the pinch financially, but he was only 26 at that point. Goes to Newcastle, plays for the Toon for three years, goes back to West Ham. At West Ham for two and a half years, goes on loan to Birmingham and then stays with Birmingham after helping them get them get them up. And he was really good for Birmingham as well. And then he did a season with Ipswich and retired. Lee Bowyer was a better player than people remember, but he was obviously a bit of a toe rag as well. Um, he's gone on to to manage both Charlton and Birmingham. He was actually doing quite well at Charlton, but. I think their ownership situation is what drove him out there, uh, Roland de Châtelet. And just on the topic of Roland de Châtelet, while I'm thinking of it, if you haven't listened to the podcast about Roland de Châtelet, which is entitled Getting to Know the Network, I highly recommend it. Just Google Getting to Know the Network. You'll find all the episodes, I think it's four or five, You'll find them on SoundCloud. Uh, it is... Yeah, it's five. Episode one is The Inheritance. Episode two is The Wrecking Ball. Episode three is The Experiment. And episode four is The End Game. It is genuinely one of the best podcasts you'll ever listen to, other than this one, of course. But this is brilliant. It's so well-researched. He spoke to so many people, including Chris Powell, um, who was manager of, of Charlton under De Châtelet. It's brilliant. It, it just paints a picture of utter madness. So getting to know the network, give that a listen. Four episodes. They're all, they range in, in, in time. One is, so it's 26 and a half minutes, 27 minutes, 
34 minutes and 50 and a half minutes. Honestly, it's about five years old, but it will open your eyes to absolute chaos within a football club. Um, moving on then, I've gotten distracted again. You see, this is what people do to me. They distract me and they think I don't notice that they distract me. Anyway, uh, your all-time, four all-time Liverpool teams, English only, rest of UK and Ireland, rest of Europe and rest of the world. Okay. Right. Give me a piece of paper to write on because uh, I will forget as I, as I go. Right. So he says, one rule to keep in mind is nationality is fixed by the country they represent. So Jason McIntyre counts as Irish, whereas John Barnes counts as English, despite the fact they weren't born in those countries. So that's okay. Right. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's go. Um, best English goalkeeper I've seen play for Liverpool is Chris Kirkland, I think. But Ray Clemens, but I didn't see Ray. I'm going to go Ray Clemens. Right back, I'm putting Trent. Left back, I'm going Rob Jones because he's the best left back. I saw, but then it's 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 not it's it's Kennedy. It is Kennedy. It's Barney Rubble. Yeah, because I again I didn't see much of him, but I'm going to go with Barney. Um, centre backs. Phil Thompson has to be one. And I would say Tommy Smith. Midfield will go. Gerard obviously. We'll go Terry Mack. John Barnes will be on the left. Need one more in midfield. It's certainly not going to be Brian. Let me tell you that here and now. Steve McMahon is probably the one. I'll go Steve McMahon. Up front, it's Fowler and Owen for me. I, I understand Roger Hunt deserves to be mentioned, but it's Fowler and Owen for me. So I've got Ray Clemens, Trent, Phil Thompson, Tommy Smith, Barney Rubble, Stevie Gerrard, Terry Mack, Steve McMahon, and John Barnes, and then Fowler and Owen up front. So I'm happy with that. Rest of UK and Ireland. So... Scotland, Wales, and Ireland. Um, Mark Lawrenson and Alan Hansen start at centre-back. Steve Nicholl will be in this team. I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering, is there... Yeah, I'm going to play Lawrenson at right back so I can have Ron Yates in the team. I didn't put Emlyn Hughes in the other team. I'm going to put Emlyn Hughes in midfield over Terry Mack. Trent, Thompson, Smith, Kennedy, Gerard, Emlyn Hughes, Steve McMahon, John Barnes, Fowler and on. 
Um, yeah, Lawrenson's right back. Yates, Hansen, and Nickel make up the defense. Big Kev, Queeving Kelleher, will be our goalkeeper. Although Elijah Scott is the real answer here. Uh, even though none of us have seen him, he's just he's getting in on, on reputation. Um I will say I I definitely should have um should have looked at this earlier and thought about these. Uh Billy Little will obviously get in left wing. Rush and Dog Leash up front. Steve Highway will be on the other wing. And the centre midfield picks itself. It is Graham Souness. And it is Ronnie Whelan. And I also left Kevin Keegan out, which... If I play Emlyn Hughes, could I play Kevin Keegan in... If I went Gerard Hughes-Burns, left out McMahon, and played Keegan in behind... Kyle Renault. That's probably the best balance. So we'll go with a diamondy midfield. Emily Hughes at the base. Keegan as a 10. Gerard and Barnes just doing everything else. Kyle Renault. So yeah, that's that team fixed. Uh, Elijah Scott, Lawrence and Yates, Hanson, Nickel, Highway, Sunes, Quelan, Little, Rush and Dog Leash. And then we will move on. What was the next one? rest of Europe. So Pepe will be in goal. I know it's harsh to leave Andy Robertson out of that team, by the way, but Steve Nichol was better than him. Uh, so, you know, it is what it is. Um, see, we didn't have... <laughs> We didn't have many, many good left backs for quite a while. Like, I'm currently stuck on the name Stigging Bjornaby because the others, like the likes of Desena and people like that, were just so, so poor. John Arnorisa will go left back. Next to him, Danny Agar. Next to him is obviously Virgil. And at right back, I'm going to go with Arbeloa, though I don't love the pick. But I do think he was slightly better than Vigard Hegem. I liked Hegem, but Hegem was more about going forward. Arbeloa was a good defensive player. Uh, in midfield, Mascherano. No, Mascherano can't be in this team. He's in the other one. Uh, we'll go Alonso, obviously. And we'll go Thiago. And we'll just never give the ball away. Um, Torres will be up front. It's a no-brainer. Um. Striker and two wingers. Or two attackers and another midfielder, whichever. I'm tempted to put Jan Mulby in midfield and never give the ball away. Then I can go Torres. 
Mm. I'm not a big Dirk Cout fan. I admire how hard he worked, but I I never was a big Dirk Cout fan. Um, I'm probably missing somebody obvious here now as well. Let me come back to that one. We'll do the rest of the world. We'll start with Alison. I'm going to have to do the thing Guy doesn't like, I think, with fullbacks, because the only two that are coming to mind are Aurelio and Insua, both of whom obviously are left-backs. What other non-European fullbacks have we had? We'll come back to it. We've got to go Matip as one of the centre-backs. Ooh, Rigobert Song. That's a good shout. Not he was awful, but to fill up spaces, he might be a good shout. We'll just fill in the obvious ones. The front three is obvious. It's actually it's gonna be a front four because it's Salah right wing. It's Mane left wing. It's Suarez and Firmino up front. I'm going to go Mascherano and Fabinho in midfield. Uh, Alhaji Juf will not be making the team. And uh, long-time listeners will be surprised or not surprised to know Lucas Leiva will also not be making the team. Uh, Aurelio's my left-back. Who is that? Oh, he, no, he played for Italy, didn't he? We had that, that Argentine centre-back that we had, uh, Paletta. I'm going to have to go Rigobert Song at centre-back. Apologies to everybody's sensibilities. Surely to God we've had another full-back that isn't from Europe. I can't think of one. I'm going to have to cheat and just put uh, Emiliano and Sua at right back. I know I am missing somebody. I can't think who. But I really like the look of that midfield and attack. The defence is a train wreck, but Ali will be fine. Mascherano, Fabinho, Salah and Mane wide, Suarez and Firmino up front. I think that's pretty good. Um, The European team. This is more of my own. Uh, Patrick Berg is definitely in. And you know what? You score a goal in the Champions League final. Vladi Schmitzer, you're in as well, son. Lucho. We'll just go with Lucho Garcia. 
Reina, Arbeloa, Virgil, Agarisa, Schmitzer, Alonso, Thiago, Berger, Torres, Garcia, Alisson, Insua, Song, Matip, Aurelio, Mascherano, Fabinho, Sala, Suarez, Firmino, and Mane. I know I'm missing somebody obvious off one of those two, maybe off both of them, but that's what I've got, so there we go. Uh, AMK2889, I posted back on the 10th that was skipped as well. Back on the 10th? What did you post on the 10th? Uh, I did this. The last one I can see from you, AMK, is uh, the one about players that were overrated or underrated. Where you give me the list of 17 starting at Timo Horn and going down to Walter Samuel. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. I see it here. It was on the 11th. What, what are you... What are some of the more controversial goals that VAR could have called off? I mean, the one that everybody would look back on is the Jeff Hurst goal. <laughs> the Jeff Hurst goal is the one I think a lot of people would like to see. But the, obviously the biggest one for Liverpool, from Liverpool point of view would be the Luis Garcia goal against Chelsea. That's the one that VAR would look at because, let's be honest, if it's not a goal, then it's a penalty and Peter Cech is sent off. So the the goal actually helped Chelsea. Um, some goals that would have been given the Raheem Sterling goal away to City. I know this is Liverpool bias, but that's what it is. And some fouls that could have been reviewed. You've named the one that's always stuck in my head is that the Nigel De Jong assault of um, of Xabi Alonso. Graham Souness has a an absolute catalogue of these though uh, things where he was just ruthlessly violent and probably would have been sent off 15 times um with continued ownership from tony bloom as well as positive transfers and youth development and of course guidance from a quality manager do you see brighton as a club that could could compete consistently for european football either regular trips to Europa with the occasional top four finish or regular trips to conference with the Europa League finish. I think the latter is more likely because no matter what they do, there's always going to be bigger, richer clubs and those clubs will always pay more wages. So players will be inclined to move on to those clubs. But I do think, I do absolutely think they could become a club that competes for the conference league and makes the occasional uh, trip into the Europa League. It won't. It won't be easy because again, they will always be at a financial disadvantage. The the big six, with the addition now of Newcastle making it a rich seven, and obviously Villa back in the Premier League with lots of money to spend. Leeds back in the Premier League, happy to spend money. It's going to be more and more difficult, but they're so well run, and they move so quickly to get the players they identify. It definitely is possible. Uh, fact 1977. Um, I was curious about Almiron and Matoma with your first, with your 11 of the first half where they rank in consideration. Almiron only loses out to Saka because I think Saka has been really good. Really, really good. Almiron has been excellent though and he would have been the next one in, in line. With Matoma, to be honest, it, it came down to minutes. I, I love him. I, I I would watch him play every single day if I could. I, I think he's absolutely 
phenomenal to watch. But he's only played about 670 minutes in the Premier League this season. Like, he hasn't been a regular starter. You look at his appearances, sub against Newcastle, sub against West Ham, sub against Leeds, sub against Fulham, sub against Liverpool, sub against Spurs, sub against Brentford. He's only started six games. That's basically why... um, that's basically why he wasn't in. Or he wasn't given real consideration. But I, I would, I would watch him. He, I, he's so much fun. He's so much fun. He gave Trent the business at the weekend. He gave him the business at the weekend. It was, it was incredible. Uh, secondly, it's understandable you picked your players primarily from the top of the league. What would be your eleven best eleven from the first half of the season using only teams eleventh to twentieth? Right. Uh, let me pull up the Premier League table and let's have a quick gander at this. Now I will say, on this podcast, I do not reward failure. So nobody from Everton or West Ham are getting in this team. Southampton. Southampton have won that I'm putting in regardless. But nobody from the rest is get from those two's getting in because that uh, Southampton being where they are is not a surprise to everybody. Everton and uh, West Ham should not be there. They have more talent than that. So uh, Aston Villa, Emmy Martinez has had a good season. Has he been the best keeper in the bottom half of the league? I would be inclined to say he probably has. Though Jose Sa hasn't been bad. I think Gavin Basunu, I know he's bought their bottom in the league, but I think he's done pretty well, considering how much work he's had to do. Emmy Martinez or Vincente Gaeta? I'll go Emmy Martinez as my goalkeeper. And he won a World Cup as well, so that's nice. So that's that's two great awards he's got now. Um best right back this season. I mean, Serge Aurier's got a hell of a case. He's done very, very well. Haven't been all that impressed with Cash, and he's had some injuries. Um, Rasmus Christensen was playing really well, but he has lost his place. Certainly not going to be a Leicester, a Leicester defender. Yeah, I think it's Serge Aurier. Slim Pickens. Slim Pickens. Uh, at centre-back, Mark Wehi's going to be in. I think Nathan Collins should be in. I think he's been excellent. And he kicked Jack Grealish. So that, to me, is a double win. Uh, Left-back. I mean, it can't be Luca Dini because his club are looking to replace him. I think Pascal Streak's had a good season, so I'm going to go with him. Uh, moving into midfield, Bubakar Kamara would be in, only he missed a chunk of the season, so I have to leave him out. But Czech Dukure has been excellent. Switched off last night for the goal, but I think he's been overall excellent. I think Ruben Neves goes next to him. I think he's been he's been tremendous. Um. 
you know what? I've said I can't put Kamara in. I was going to put Romeo Lavia in because I, I do think he's been brilliant, but he did miss a chunk of the season as well. So we leave him out. Um, Morgan Gibbs-White is 100% in. And I really want to put Jacob Ramsey in because I think he was mismanaged a little bit this season. He hasn't been as good as I had hoped he would be, but I do think he's had some really good games. But I'll go with I'll go with Michael Elise. I think when you look at the creativity numbers, he's right up there. So I'll go with him. And then in attack. Definitely not anybody from Wolves. <laughs> Definitely not anybody from Wolves. I think Harvey Barnes has quietly had a decent season, but James Madison, actually, do you know what? We'll leave Elise out. We'll put Madison in. We'll put Barnes in. And we need one more, and I think it's Wolf Zaha. Now, there's no nine in this team. It's basically two wingers up front. But Martinez, Aurier, Collins, Gwehi, Struyek, Madison, Decoure, Neves, Gibbs White, Zaha and, and Barnes. Barnes is probably the one I would I could be convinced off of. And I could probably be convinced to put Ollie Watkins in if he could score a few more goals. But I think that's what I'll go with. Last question then is from Stephen Smith, aka the machine. You were appointed sporting director of Liverpool by the new Qatari regime, where you have the ability to shape the squad, the coaching staff in the next and the coaching staff in the next two years. Anyone can go, it's your choice. You have you may sign one player this month up to 75 million. Then in the summer, you can sign up to five or maybe six players for a budget of 300 million. You may also move on current members of the squad as stated, or you may also move on current squad members as stated, or any or loan out any youngsters. Please ensure the uh, homegrown quota is met. Right then. Well, the first player out the door will be Captain Jordan Henderson. So, so, so there's that. Um, right. One player this month. It's Caicedo. I'm bringing in Moises Caicedo. I, I don't care. Uh, Jurgen can like it or he can lump it. Um, yeah, we'll go Caicedo. That'll take this month's budget. So, three hundred million in the summer. I'm going Enzo Fernandez. I I think in the summer you'll get him for like 90 and add-ons. So we'll say we'll say we'll just say 100 million just to be sure to be sure. Um right, so that gives me Caicedo and Enzo as two of my midfield three. Let me just I need another piece of paper to write things down. So it's just players I would want to move out, not players I think will move out. So we'll have goalkeepers. We'll have Allison. 
we'll have Kelleher because if we have all the money, I'm just going to give him all the money he wants and a supermax to keep him at the club. Um, and Pitalug will be my third choice keeper. So I don't need a new keeper. And I have one homegrown player there. Right back, Trent. Ramsey's going to be third choice because he's so young. I don't want kids playing too often. Um, my right back, I wonder, does he count as a homegrown player this year or would it be another year? Be another year. So if I just want a steady right back, I'm going to go and buy Kyle Walker-Peters. He's not spectacular, but he is solid. He can play both sides. I'm going to buy him, I will say 30 million. Left back will be Robertson, but I'm going to sell Simicus. Owen Beck will be third choice there. So I need a backup left back. And I want someone that's, again, this is where I want someone that can potentially become a first choice starter for me long term. This is someone that can be Andy Robertson's replacement because that's where we've got to start looking at left back is someone that can replace Andy Robertson in the next few years. Now, Juan Miranda is interesting to me at Real Betis. But he's still got, you know, still got a way to go. But I do really like him. And I like the fact that he's tall as well. I like having taller fullbacks. He's been well-schooled coming to Barca. I'm going to go with him. I'm going to go with him. And we'll say, I don't know, we'll say 20 million for him. Um, Getting rid of Matip, getting rid of Gomez. Because I can't be bothered with, with injury-prone players anymore. So Kanate will start. And we'll go Bella Kotchup, double deal with with Saints for Bella Kotchup to come in there. And then we've got young Gerald Kwanzaa as a backup. Virgil's obviously a starter. We need another centre-back and the backup there would be Sepp Vandenberg. Um, I really like there's a young centre back at Blackburn called Ashley Phillips and I'm really tempted by him but kind of feel like we should go Max Maxence Lacroix I'd be inclined to say goodbye to Sepp Vandenberg and buy Ashley Phillips if it was if I had full control um We'll go Lacroix, 30 million. 
So there's four signings. I'm allowed five. I'm allowed six if I stay in budget. Um, so midfield. Right, I'm, I'm, because of the limit on six, I think I might keep Naby Keita. I think I will keep Naby Keita. So my midfield is going to be Enzo Fernandez with heavily rotating with Thiago, obviously. But I want Enzo playing more of the games. And I'm going to say we'll just keep Curtis Jones as the third. Um, the other eight will be Caicedo. Thiago can play that side as well. We're going to keep Keita. And we've got Tyler Morton as a third. Bissette should be the third holding midfielder. Fabinho's probably still the starter. But we're going Manuel Ugarte. In there too. So that's, yeah, let's say, 40 million for him. We'll go 100 for Enzo. So that's five players. That's that is six players signed. Um, 140, 200. That's 250 million spent. And then in attack, I've got Salah with Elliot as his backup and Kate Gordon behind him. I've got Darwin. With Jota as the backup. Actually, sorry, I'm wrong. Behind Elliot would be Ben Doak. Behind Jota would be Kate Gordon. And then on the left, we've got Diaz. We've got Gakpo. And we have got Carvalho. So my first 11 is Allison, Trent, Canate, Virgil, Robertson, Enzo, Fabinho, Caicedo, Salah, Darwin, Diaz. With a depth 11 of Kelleher, Walker, Peters, Bella Kotchup, Lacroix, Miranda, Thiago, Ugarte, Keita, I might have screwed this a little bit. Hang on. Uh, Elliot, Jota, Gakpo. And then for my third 11, the young 11, Pitaluga, Ramsey, Kwanzaa, Vandenberg, Beck, Jones, Pesetic, Morton, Doak, Gordon, and Carvalho. How many non-homegrown players do I have? One, two, three, four, five, six. Ooh, I think I screwed this. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Eek. I might have won too many. What year was Armel Bellacotcha born? Was it not 2002? If it's 2002, we're good. Oh. Oh, I've won uh, non-homegrown too many. Uh, 
Because remember, it's not how many homegrown players you have, it's how many non-homegrown players, and you're only led 17. And unfortunately, I have 18. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Yeah, I have eighteen. So I need to lose one. So the one I'm going to lose is Max Sensler-Croix. And what I am going to do, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to buy Tosin from Fulham, who's had a contract in the summer, bring him in as the primary backup to Virgil on a free. That brings my spending down as well. So I've got 70 million, 170, about 210 million, is that it? Sorry, 80 million. About 220 million spent then. You end up with Alison Trent, Canate, Virgil, Robertson, Enzo Fabinho, Caicedo, Salah, Darwin, Diaz, Kelleher, Walker Peters, Bella Kotchup, Tosin, Miranda, Thiago Ugart, Keita, Elliot, Jota, Gakpo, Pitaluga, Ramsey, Kwanzaa, Vandenberg, Beck, Jones, Besetic, Morton, Doak, Gordon and Carvalho. I would bet I've also brought the wage bill down because I've gotten rid of Henderson, that's 200 grand a week. Gotten rid of Firmino, that's 200 grand a week. Gotten rid of Oxlade, Chamberlain and Milner, that's another 200 grand a week. Um, none of them bring in any money, obviously, but that's fine. It saves 30 million a year in wages. Sold Matip, Sold Gomez. Maybe you get 40 million, 45 million for the pair. Uh, I'd sell Connor Bradley because I I think Ramsey's a better young right back. I think Bradley would bring in a couple of million, maybe. Nat Phillips has to go as well. Um I'd get rid of Reese Williams, Leighton Clarkson, Adrian. So I think in total I've probably I've probably spent about 175 million, which puts 125 back in and, and keeps the Qatari overlords very happy. So, you know. I'm quids in. Maybe they give it to me as a bonus. Anyway, we'll do the gossip and we'll be done for the day. Um da, 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 da. Paris Saint Germain are prepared to let oh sorry. Paris Saint-Germain were prepared to let Kylian Mbappe join Liverpool last summer, but he rejected the potential move amid reports linking with Real Madrid. I have a really tough time believing that to be true. Arsenal will not be panicked into buying in January after missing out on Mikhail Mudrik and are prepared to wait until summer before going for Declan Rice. Uh, today, they're in negotiations to buy Leandro Trossard. Uh, West Ham tried to sign Harry Maguire on loan, but the move was rejected by Ten Hag, who was keen to keep his captain at Old Trafford. 
Former Chelsea boss Thomas Tuchel is ready to return to management. Would be interested in taking over at Tottenham if Antonio Conte leaves. They could do a lot worse. Everton may be tempted to replace Frank Lampard with David Moyes, despite the Scots position at West Ham being under threat. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, Moyes may face the sack if Everton lose. This is what I was referring to earlier. The the article says will face the sack. Um, Tottenham have offered 30-year-old 30, 30 Brazilian forward Lucas Moura, whose contract runs out in the summer, to Everton. Uh, he wants to go back to Brazil, so unless it's on loan, that deal makes no sense for anybody. Manchester United have offered an improved contract to Alejandro Garnacho amid interest from Real Madrid. Nottingham Forest are in talks to sign Chris Wood. Apparently, that is a deal that's in motion. Chris Wood to Forest on loan with an option to buy. Fulham have been linked with a £4 million move for former striker Josh Maja. The London-born Nigerian forward, who had a loan spell at Craven College in 2021, has scored 11 goals in 19 appearances for Bordeaux in France's League 2 this season. Now, he is a very talented striker, but he's been badly guided by an agent who's only in it for the money. Uh, he should never really have left Sunderland to go to France. He should have stayed at Sunderland, kept developing, kept scoring. And I think he would probably be playing in the Premier League by now. Chelsea and Manchester United are ready to rival Tottenham for the signing of David Rea. I mean, he has become hugely overrated. He is not a top six keeper. Tottenham have offered 30 million plus for Pedro Porro, but the Portuguese... Sorry, but for Sporting Lisbon's Pedro Porro, but the Portuguese club want a full release clause of 39 million. Atletico Madrid are set to sign Memphis Depay for around 3 million. You could think of worse ways to spend 3 million. FC Copenhagen confirmed that Leicester City are in negotiations to sign Victor Christensen, but that a deal is not a certainty. This one this one confuses the life out of me. Now, he's a very talented left-back. There's no question. Very, very talented left-back. They already have a very talented left-back in Luke Thomas. Their issue is at centre-back. They're a laughing stock at centre back. Now, it may Christensen's probably got a higher ceiling than Luke Thomas, but right now I would look at Luke Thomas as the probably the only non-issue in that back line. Because Wood phase is up and down like a yo-yo. Daniel Amarty is not a centre back, and their right back situation has been a mess because of injuries. Barcelona and Spain defender Sergio defender, he's a midfielder, Sergio Busquets, has turned down a lucrative £17 million a year opportunity to join Cristiano. Probably saw Cristiano's contract and thought, well, I want a bit more. Ronaldinho's son, João de Assis Moreira, is having a trial at his former club, at his father's former club, Barcelona. The 17-year-old has so far failed to impress the coaching staff, but Joe Laporta has asked for him to be given more time. Um, he is it's because he's his dad's son. These kids will be playing futsal in a couple of years. Uh, Villarreal are favourites to sign Ben Breerton Diaz in a free transfer when his contract expires in the summer. And Blackpool look set to turn 
to former Ipswich, Sunderland, Wolves and Republic of Ireland manager Mick McCarthy as their new boss following the dismissal of Michael Appleton. Good to see Big Mick back in the game. Still haven't forgiven him for 2002, but good to see him back in the game. I, I hope it goes better than that mess of a spell he had at Cardiff or the mess of a spell he had at Applewell. Uh, I hope it goes well. I, I really do. Um, that'll do me for today, folks. Thank you as always, and I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.